Well, welcome to Share Community Church, uh, both those that are here and, and those that are online. Uh, we miss you. Uh, we wish you could be here. There's uh, just a few announcements. Number one, read your bulletins. There's a whole lot of information in there about what's happening. Um, VBS registration is closing at noon on July 8th. So parents, get your kids uh, get your kids signed up for that before noon on July 8th. Um, there's going to be a prayer uh, uh, session for those who wish to attend with with Dan Chessman over here between services. So if you if you care to pray for whatever needs personal or church needs or needs of the country. Uh, Join uh, Dan over here, and uh, and uh, it, it'll be a rewarding time for you. As you know, this is a big national holiday. Um, for the last few years, I've reflected on on what Independence Day means for this country. Uh, independence from the the tyranny of the of the uh, Great Britain, this country, freedom meant a lot to people who came here to free that tyranny. And as I think about it, we call this the birthday of our country that we're celebrating. And uh, I've been thinking more about this being the birthday of my second birth. Uh, what we celebrate on July 4th, the independence of this country, uh, we can celebrate independence from our sinful nature just because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. So as you celebrate the freedom that we have in this country, uh, think about the freedom that Jesus gave us from the tyranny and slavery to our sinful nature. The uh, biblical references that that I enjoy reading now are all from Romans six. Uh, Paul in verse fourteen says, "Sin shall not be your master." And in verses 18, and then again in 21, we are set free from sin. And so as we, as we reflect on, on uh, what we're going to be doing, receiving communion this morning, I ask that you prepare your hearts. Uh, we at this church... Uh, celebrate what's called an open communion. You don't have to be a member. Uh, you don't have to be a, an e-free person. But you do have to understand personally that Jesus Christ died and suffered, that we could be considered free and sinless in God's eyes. <clears throat> as long as we accept that premise, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, eleven twenty seven. Paul writes, 
Therefore, whoever, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread or drinks the cup, for anyone who eats or drinks without recognizing the body and blood eats and drinks judgment upon himself. So use this time before we before we receive communion to just examine your hearts and get right with the Lord. Uh, we are forgiven, but also we must repent and thank Jesus for what he did. Lord, it, it is with great humility and reverence that we approach this time. The remembrance of your Last Supper and the remembrance of what you did for us on the cross is a true privilege to do this once a month in this church. And we remember why you had to suffer, why you had to die, and why you were resurrected on the third day to set us free. So if you have your, your elements ready, Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, 23, For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, as, as we consume this bread, which represents your body, we think of the, the suffering that your body went through. The mere fact that you said to his, he, you said, Jesus, to your father, why have you abandoned me? Jesus at the time represented all the sin of the world. And that sin is despised by our Father God. And since Jesus represented that sin, at that moment, Jesus felt that he was totally separated from the love of his Father. Thank you, Jesus. And... In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the blood of my covenant. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Lord Jesus, as we consume this juice, which represents the blood that you shed on the cross, flowing from your head to your toes and out your side. Thank you, Lord, for doing this for us. Jesus, you didn't have to, but you did. And we thank you, Father, for allowing your son to be sacrificed as a representative of our sin. So, Jesus, we thank you with all our hearts, and let us always remember what you did for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We look forward to when he comes. Um, Let me just give a couple of, uh, one announcement first here is that I want to remind you to go to that table in the foyer, and at the table in the foyer, you sign up for an interview with me or a conversation with me. This is stage one of our process that we're walking through, and there are these little sheets out there, interview form, and these are just to help you. They're, they're not to turn into me, but, but it helps our conversation go along. So those are out on the table also, but go out at, to the table in the foyer and you'll see the sheets and also a time to sign up. Yes. Okay, I'm Adam Wolfgang and I'm the interim pastor here um, walking the church with the church through uh, this time of transition. So that's announcement number one. Announcement number two is that we do, we have received our scripture journals. The scriptural journal is uh, the passage of scripture, the books of the Bible that we are going through. And we're going through the book of 1 Peter. And uh, this one has 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude in it. What it has, it has scripture on one side and then a place to write on the other side of it. And what I typically like to do is this is a tool that you use along with your Bible. We'll be going to other parts of your Bible, but we go through this and I, I, I make mention of different things and you can write them down. So as if, if you had them, like last week, we went through verses one and two, I would have said, okay, Peter, put a line by that and put author. And then I would have said, an an apostle, I would have said, put a line by that and say, official representative sent by Jesus to those who are elect. Now, that's one of the words we're looking deeper into. So I would have said, double line that one. And then I would have said, elect exiles of the dispersion. By that word dispersion, why are they being dispersed? Because they are being heavily persecuted. So you'd put that word in there. In Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, that's in modern-day Turkey. You'd write that down somewhere. And then according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that's another word that we're looking at deeper this morning. That would be a double line of God the Father, a box around that. In the sanctification of the Spirit, put a box around Spirit. And then in the obedience of Jesus Christ, put a box around Jesus Christ for the sprinkling of his blood. And then you would have put somewhere on there, this is a Trinity verse. This is another Trinity verse that we see in the scriptures. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so this is just a tool that'll help us as we walk through it again. Remember that when we get done, you have your own little commentary that you've been working on and that you can go back to. So if you would like one this morning, I'm thankful our ushers are right here. And we have stacks of these. 
Now, we won't be using it as much this Sunday because we just got them. We will next Sunday. But if you would like one, raise your hand, and, and the ushers will pass these out at this time, and uh, make sure that you get one. Just raise your hand. It's great to, it's great to be able to pass out God's Word. And you'll get the hang of it as I go through this. I will, I, at different Sundays, it'll be different. There's plenty of place there if you like to draw, doodle. Yeah, just doodle away. I had someone the very first Sunday I was here on the candidate weekend that drew a picture of me and then came up and showed me the picture. Yeah. The, the young man did say, though, he says, oh, you look a little different once I get close to you. <laughs> I didn't know which way to take that but I took it the best way possible. Okay, I have read scripture this morning, so let's bow our heads in prayer. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for your word, the reading of your word. Again, we are so um, blessed to have your words given to us that we can read, that we can study, that we can apply to our lives. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, your son given, that was laid in a manger, laid upon a cross, laid in a tomb, but rose on the third day. And so we thank you that he is told us that he is coming again. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit, for your children, as we go into your word, that that Holy Spirit guides us in your truth. And so, Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to be guided in your truth this day. And Lord, this morning, we've had plenty of names that have come through the emails this week for prayer. And so we pray for Jan and Aiden and Faye and Kara and Luann and Tom and Francine and Dave. And Lord, most of these are situations where it's a, a physical ailment that they are, 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 are dealing with. And so we call upon the great physician um, to guide them and touch them and strengthen them. And help us, Lord, as the body of Christ, to continue to keep them and uphold them in prayer. In all of this, we ask your name. Amen. Amen. So just a little bit of backup um, from last week. We are still working off of this little folder that you have in, there, in your seats or behind or underneath. Um, because I didn't, get, uh, I didn't get halfway through that. We are looking at those two words, um, foreknowledge and elect. And last week, we introduced this book of 1 Peter, and I said there's three A's. Every time you go into a book of the Bible, look at the three A's. The first one was the author, and the author is Peter. The second A is who is the audience, and the audience is first century Christians, basically Gentile Christians, who are being heavily, heavily persecuted by the Romans, and uh, they're in this modern-day Turkey area, Asia Minor, and so that's who the audience is. And then the third is the autographed. When was it autographed? It was autographed in 62 to 63 AD. And with those figures in your head, you can go back 30 years. And when you, you're at the cross, 30 years ago, you would be at the cross, at the tomb, at the ascension. And so here is senior citizen, St. Peter, 
saying these words to this audience and what does he have to say? And we realize that these are some of his final words to the church. These are some of his final words. And what is he? what does he want them to know? What does he want them to know? These heavily persecuted Christians. Well, last week, we realized that one of the things he wanted them to know about the Trinity. And so right out of the gate in verse two, he makes sure to mention God, the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit. And so he gives them in a compact form right there to say, I want you to know about the Trinity. And the second thing I want you to know about is your salvation. And he ties the Trinity to your salvation. He wants them to, he wants them to know that their salvation is, is wrapped up in all of the Trinity and all of the Godhead, that God planned it, that Jesus purchased it, and the Spirit is going about polishing your salvation. So those are two things that we came across. And, and we realized that, you know, the understanding about Jesus and the cross, we've got a pretty good handle on that. Even this morning as we took communion, we have a pretty good handle on that. He, he paid the price. He paid our ransom. Um, it's because of him and, and his righteousness that, that has been imputed upon us. And so we understand, we got a handle on that one. And we understand the Spirit's involvement in our life too, because if you are a Christian, um, you've seen your life start to transform. And, and the fruit of the Spirit is to be ever growing in your life. It's to ever be increasing uh, uh, love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. All those things are to be increasing in your life. And you've, you've maybe you've seen that over time. And so you get a little handle also on that. But that first one, that first one where it's, it's been planned by God, it's, it's it, that you are chosen, that he has this foreknowledge. That's the harder one to, to grasp. And sometimes we, we kind of skirt around those words, but we don't want to do that. We want to look at those words that are in the Bible and say, okay, what does the Bible say about these words? And so we first started with the word foreknowledge. What does foreknowledge need, mean in the scriptures? And we looked at it and said, you know, it's more than just Jesus or God knowing everything. It's way more than that. Because in the scriptures, foreknowledge is used to say, and Jesus was foreknown by the Father before he was manifested in the later latter days to hang on a cross. And so foreknowledge is described in the scriptures as God's predetermined plan. And that's how the word is used. If, if you hold on to that view that foreknowledge is just God just knowing everything, and, then, and therefore he looks down the corridor of time and, and sees that you have made a decision for him, and therefore you are chosen, um, that, that puts who in charge? That puts me in charge. I'm the one in charge. But if you're in charge, is God sovereign? No. And so you have to watch it. You have to, we have to wrestle with that to realize that, wait a minute, we serve a sovereign God who commands us, who calls us to respond to him. But how much does he know? That's where I want to pick up where we left off last week. In your, in your little sheet, if you're following along there, we're going to be down here where it says Genesis chapter 4, uh, verse 1. And I just remembered my clicker. Um, 
Yeah, Genesis 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 1. So we're, what we're doing is taking that word foreknowledge, and we're looking at the root of it. No, that's the, that's the word of that, the root of that word knowledge is the, the compact part of it is no. What does the Bible say about the word no? In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word is yada, yada. And so maybe you've heard that on movies and stuff like that. Some Jewish actor going, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. That's what he's saying. I know, I know, I know. See, Scott, that's a new word for you. When Lisa asks you to do something, you go, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, but that's a casual use of that word. That's a very casual use of that word. But that word can be used in a very strong way also. Let me show you. In Genesis chapter 4, we see it emerge in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, when it says, now the man knew, knew, there it is, knew his wife Eve. Now, that's good. You should know your wife's name kind of thing. But then the next line is, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. So, so you realize, wait a minute. Okay, no means something else. I mean, he knew his wife, Eve, and boom, there's a baby, okay? So, so no there isn't a casual yada, yada, yada. It's, it's, a, it's a very intimate, rela- it's describing a very intimate relationship between the man and the woman, okay? So that's the depth of that word, no. Now let's go to another one in Genesis, Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, and we're looking at, we're looking at um, God speaking, and he's talking about Abraham. Genesis chapter 18, and starting at verse 19, and God says, for I have known him. Well, how, and, and that's past tense. Notice that. I have known him. I have known Abraham so that he may command his children and his household after him that, that they keep the way of Yahweh to do righteousness and justice so that Yahweh may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So I have known him previously, and I know him so well, I'm telling you what the predetermined plan is of Abraham's life and his family's life. Now let me take you to the, I mean, the capstone verse. If you go to Jeremiah, and some of you went through Jeremiah with uh, Robert just recently. Jeremiah chapter 1. And verse 5, we get the depth of this word, no. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, God is speaking about Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the innermost parts. So how are we formed? We're formed by God in the innermost parts. I knew you. So he said, before I ever formed you in the innermost parts. Before you were ever a single cell, I knew you. How much did he know Jeremiah? Well, the next line says, and before you came out of the womb, I set you apart. So he not only knew him before he was a single cell and formed him in in the womb, but he also set him apart before he was ever born. He was set apart for something special. And the next line says, I have given you as a prophet to the nations. So I'm telling, I'm telling you, before you were ever a single cell, I knew you, and I knew you before you were ever born, and you were to be set apart, and you would be this prophet to all the nations. 
All I'm doing is trying to play out this word no, that it, it, it's really deep. It is not a casual knowing of someone. So let's go to a bad verse. I'm, I shouldn't say that about the Bible. Um, but a sad verse, there we go, that's better. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking. Um, and he says in chapter 7, starting in verse um, 22, let's start at verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name did we not prophesy? Now, I want you to notice, I stopped right there. I want you to notice it says, did we not prophesy? Look at where the emphasis is on. The emphasis is on what I am doing. I know I said, Lord, Lord, but, but didn't I not prophesy? And then you can carry that phrase over. And in your name, you could add, did we not cast out demons? Again, focus on myself of what I have done. And in your name, we could add there again, pulling that phrase along, did we not do many miracles? Who's the focus on? The focus is on me and what I have done. What is Jesus' response in verse 23? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Now, wait a minute. God knows everybody, right? Yeah, God knows everybody. But when he talks about, I never knew you, he's talking about in this area, this realm of salvation, that I did not know you, and therefore, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let's go to the next one, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, Jesus uses the the analogy of the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 14, and this is familiar verse, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me. There's that word again. Well, how how does he know us? Well, the next phrase, he gives us the illustration or the comparison of this knowing his sheep. When he says in verse 15, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Okay, how, how well does Jesus and the Father know each other? I mean, whoa all part of the Godhead kind of thing. And that's how he's comparing his knowledge of us, his sheep. And then he says, and I lay down my life for my sheep. Then verse 16, I have other sheep, he says, which are not from this fold. So he's calling people sheep before they're ever in the fold. And he says, I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. So he knows us, and he even mentions that there are sheep that don't know yet that they're sheep that he is bringing into the fold. Let me give you one more before we switch words, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and verses 1 through 3, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, and he says, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, stop right there. Things sacrificed to idols. And, and, and we all know that that's nothing. Idols are nothing. They are nothing in comparison to the Almighty God. We know that. So he goes on to say, we know that we know that we all have knowledge about that. We do. But knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, knowledge, if if you just if you just know that, and you're like, those idols, there's just idols. They're, they're, they don't have any power. They're man-made and everything else. 
But love builds up. So you're looking at the individual who is struggling with this. If you just rely on your knowledge, ah, they're nothing, Brenda, they're nothing. But if I look at Brenda and I realize that, wait a minute, Brenda's really struggling with this. And, I, and, I, and love starts to pour out of me. Love will build her up. If we go the way of knowledge, verse two, if anyone thinks that he has known anything, he has not known as he ought to know. Verse three, but if anyone loves God, if anyone loves God, he has been known. That's past tense again. He's past tense, has been known by him. So there's a has been, if, if, if there is someone who loves God, it's because he has been known, past tense, by God. You know, we have that, that verse that we always like to quote. Uh, we love because he, what? First loved us. Who did the first loving? Yeah, God, God did. There's an order here. Now, let's go to the next word. And the next word is that word elect or chosen. How does the Bible use that? And I, I've talked about this many times, and I thought, well, this, is, this might be a better way of doing this, is looking at a parable of Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus gives this parable. And um, what has just previously happened is the interaction with the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler has come up, what must I do to be saved, you know? And, and Jesus gives him all the commands and everything. And then he says, you know, you, that, that ending part, you know, this is what you need to do. You need to give away all your riches and, and, and come follow me. And, and, the, and the man turns and does not follow him. He walks away sad because he has many possessions is what, what it says. And, and, and the disciples are scratching their heads like, Wow, who can make it into the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus says, you know, with man, this is impossible, but, but it's possible with, with God. And so then he goes into the story about the kingdom of God. Parables are stories that Jesus made up to bring out a spiritual point. And those points, sometimes we can really dissect them and sometimes we can understand them and we can put people in places of this. And I think this is one of them. And we can even act this out in this one. And I, I wonder if Jesus even did this. I wonder if he even acted this one out. So in Matthew chapter 20, it says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's saying, he's stopping right there, saying, this is what God's kingdom is like. I'm going to tell it to you. It's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. Okay, so who's the landowner? Well, if it's the kingdom of God, God's the landowner. And it's his vineyard. And what is he doing? He's going out and picking out laborers to work in his vineyard. Now, they would have worked 12-hour days. And so this is early in the morning. So this would have been at the very start of the day. And he's gone out to find this, these laborers. Verse two, now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he went into, they went into his vineyard. Now, just point this out. A denarius was a day's wage, but it was a day's wage for a Roman soldier. So it actually, he was being very generous with these day workers to go into the vineyard. 
kind of thing. But, but, but there was a requirement that was going to be paid, to, paid for them to be able to do this work. Okay, so God is the landowner. We are the laborers. And he pulls out one of them to, or, or, or at the 12th hour, the first hour of the day to say, go into our vineyard. So let's, let's act this out. Uh, Chad, Chad, come on up here. You're, you're number 12. You're going to work all day long. Okay, all day long. Just stand right here. After he went out about the third hour and saw some standing in the marketplace idle, and those, he said, you also go into the vineyard, whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Who can I pick on next? The guy on the end row right there. You're, you're, you're the ninth hour or the third hour. Okay, so stay in order here. Stay in order. Again, he went out about the sixth hour. Michael, come on up. You're the sixth hour. And the ninth hour, Dan, you want to get in on this? You're, you're the ninth hour and did the same thing. Now, about the 11th hour, the 11th hour, now that means that this person is only going to work one hour because it's 12-hour day. So only going to work one hour. So I got to find someone who's a slacker who only works one hour. <laughs> you're not a slacker. I've been around. No, you're not a slacker. Uh, let's see. Let's get Mike Myers up here. He's a slacker. So... <laughs> We'll get him in there. Okay, so he, he, the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing around, said to them, why have you been standing idle all day, Mike? They said to him, your wife told you to, because no one has hired us. And said, he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Okay, now just stop right there and realize that, wait, who's in control here? God is, the landowner is in control. The landowner is the one who's picking. The landowner is the one that's choosing. He's, he's the one, and he's, he's agreeing with them on this denarius, and he's sending them out into the vineyard, okay? Now it goes on to say, now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, okay, now we got somebody else here. We got a foreman. In that day, the foreman was most likely a family member of the owner of the vineyard, and most likely the oldest son would be in charge of that. So if the landowner is God, who's the foreman? Jesus. Jesus is the foreman. Okay, who can we get to play Jesus? Uh, everybody's like, oh, me, 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 me. Come on up and be Jesus right here on the end. Yeah, be Jesus. I know that's humbling, humbling. But you're going to be right here, and you're going to hand out. So he says, and, and, and he says, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group. First, and when the hired, when those were hired on the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. So give him a denarius. There you go. You can go now. Oh. No, no, no. You're still. You're not you. No. Now draw this out even farther. Who's 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 paying them? Who's paying the price? Who paid the ransom for our salvation? Jesus did. Jesus did. And so what's going to happen next? And, and when, the, when those hired first, they suppose that they, so you keep handing it out, handing out to the ninth. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, stop right here. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
Now, when they had received that, um, so th- when those hired first came and supposed, they would receive more, more. But each one also received a denarius. Now, when he received it, so give it to him, they were, gr- he, they were grumbling at the landowner. Who are you grumbling with? Who's the landowner? God. Saying, these last, last men only worked one hour, and they did, they, you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. So he's saying, what's he saying? I've been working all day. Yeah, you've been working all day. But, but we're talking about salvation here. And when it comes to salvation, it is equal to all. So um, there, there is a, so if you, if you accepted Christ, if you came to faith in Christ when you were a kid in vacation Bible school, okay? There's a lot of us that are like that. Or if you came to faith in Christ on your deathbed or the thief on the cross, that's another good example of that. Is that salvation any different? No, that salvation is not different. Is the price that was paid any different? No, not that, that whatsoever. The denarius that is being paid, the requirement of, of, of eternal life is that we deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow after him. We deny our very selves. We are nothing now. And we take up the cross. And when they said take up the cross, they talked about suffering. That's what that meant, that I would be willing to die for him and come follow after me. Yeah, give it to Jesus there. So listen to what the landowner says. Um, but he answered and said to him, friend. Now that's interesting. He calls him friend. Doesn't call him a worker anymore. Calls him a friend. There's, that means a relationship has been bonded there. I am doing no wrong. Who's saying that? The landowner. God is saying, I am doing no wrong. Um, Did you not agree with me for a denarius? And you got to go, well, yeah, for salvation, that's that's what it is. Take what is yours and go. God's still speaking here. Take what is yours and go, but, but I wish. So whose plan are we talking about here? Are we talking about the laborer's plan? No, we're talking about God's plan. But I wish to give the last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? I mean, remember who he's talking to. Remember who's talking. God's talking. God is talking and saying, and saying okay, is it not lawful for me, God, to do what I, God, wish with what is my own, God's own. And it's at that point where you have to stop and say, yeah, I don't totally understand this whole chosen thing and elect and everything like that. And, and there are still questions in my mind, but you get to a certain point and you go, but, but this is God's plan, not my plan. And at some point you have to stop and, and God has to stop you in your tracks and say, wait a minute here, wait a minute. You're stepping over your bounds here. When it comes to salvation, do you determine who gets saved? No, sir. No, it's God alone that does that. And then he ends with this, or is, or is your eye envious because I am generous? Because it was a generous offering that he gave to the, the workers. A denarius would have been a generous offering uh, to a worker uh, during that time. 
And therefore, what is your focus on? Your focus is not on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You know, what's your focus on? On you, on you. He says, so the last will be first and the first last. Thank you guys. Yeah, thank you, Mike, especially for being Jesus. I think that is a really good illustration talking about the sovereignty of God. And I realize like I'm, I'm out of time. <sighs> I do want to hit a, I'll hit a couple more and do one more thing. So on your scriptures, just to see this, and I've given you all these scriptures. So I do pray that you will take these home and read these. But John um, chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verses 16. Jesus reminds his disciples over and over of this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give to you. So not only does he know you, but he chooses you, but he chooses you for a reason. He chooses you for a reason. He appoints you to bear fruit. Go down to verse 19. If, if you were of the world, the world would have loved its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because the, of this world hates you. Let's go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, Jesus speaking to his father in the high priestly prayer, verse 9. He says, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on those you have given me. Wait a minute, so God gave these to Jesus. Well, you can't give something that you don't already have. So he already had them to give them to Jesus. You have given me for they are whose? Yours. They are yours. Let's go to Acts chapter, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 and verses, uh, starting in verse 46. Paul and Barnabas have been sharing the gospel. And it says in verse 46, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it is necessary for the word of God to be spoken to you first. So he's saying to the Jewish people, he's saying, it is necessary for you to hear first that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He is risen from the grave. Uh, Spoken to you, sir, since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So he's saying, because you have not received this, we are turning to the Gentiles with this message that Jesus is the Christ. He is the risen Lord, okay? Then where did they get this from? This goes back to a couple weeks ago. They get this from the scriptures. The scriptures are guiding them. Verse 47, for so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. That's Isaiah 49, 6. He's quoting there. And so he's going back to the scriptures and he's saying, we are taking this gospel now to the Gentiles because the scripture has said this is supposed to happen. Now, watch the reaction, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Stop right there. So when they hear 
Wait a minute, there is a savior? There is a redeemer? There is one that, man, everybody is jumping up and down and rejoicing. No different than when Jesus came in on Palm Sunday. And and what did they do when he came on on the foal of a donkey on Palm Sunday? They're waving palm branches and they're going, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Whole bunch of people are rejoicing and, and jumping up and down and everything. But what happened a week later? Yeah, well, look at this, this phrase here. So they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed, that's past tense. Those that had been appointed to eternal life believed. So just there's kind of like this subgroup. So there's a whole bunch of people that are jumping up and down and rejoicing because, woo, we're being told that there's a king and, and he's risen from the grave and he has power over death and, and all these things. Everybody is just so excited. But then Paul and Barnabas let us know that, but, but those who have been appointed to eternal life, have been appointed to eternal life, those ones believed. So there's a whole bunch of people rejoicing, but there's a subgroup that are not just rejoicing, but they actually believe that he is the savior of the world. He is the savior of the world. Now, I'm going to leave some of the rest of these up to you as you go through um, the different uh, different scriptures I've given to you. Um, a, A phrase that comes into play before the foundation of the world comes into play. Um, God chose God's gracious choice upon, uh, upon us, leaving a remnant. In, in the book of Revelation, we come across the names that are written in the Lamb's book of life. When? Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. So the Bible, the Bible states this as a fact. It brings up a lot of questions. But this fact is supposed to comfort us, and especially in the midst of our persecution. This fact that God has chosen us, that Jesus has purchased us, and that the Holy Spirit is polishing us. I mean, what do you need to know? What do you need to know to stand up against persecution that that is because you are a follower of Jesus Christ? You need to know that your salvation is secure and your salvation comes right from the Godhead so that you would be able to stand in those times. And when King Nebuchadnezzar says, uh, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to play this one more time just for you. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go, uh, you can play as many times as you want, but we will never bow to another God. We will ne- you can throw us in the fire. We will never bow before any other God. What makes you able to do that is because you know that you have a salvation in your God, in your God. Uh, modern day, what, what, what possesses a person who in Columbine, and that's many, a few years ago now, when the gun is put up to her head saying, are you a Christian? That she would say, Yes. How in the world would you be able to say that unless, unless you knew that your salvation is secure in God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit? That's the only way that you can do that. Persecuted Christian, not of this world, but residing in it. I'm kind of paraphrasing it myself. 
May God's grace and peace be multiplied in your understanding. They have God's grace because Christ died on the cross. They have God's peace because they are right with standing with God. But be multiplied in your understanding. You even grasp it even more, knowing that he has personally chosen you, sacrificially giving his own son so that you would not experience his wrath, but his very presence one day. And until that day, because we're not there yet, his spirit will continue to transform you to be more and more like Jesus. Senior citizen St. Peter wants his audience to know that they never walk alone as a child of God. And I tell you, when you stand up against persecution, that's what you need to know, Christian, that you never walk alone as a child of God. No matter how hostile this world becomes against those who have responded to the call of God and live as exiles in this world. For the Father God planned our salvation, the Spirit, uh, Jesus purchased our salvation, and the Spirit polishes our salvation. And, and, and why am I going so much in depth in this? Because this, this is the precursor of the whole book. This is how he starts out. These are his opening statement to these persecuted Christians. Now, I also gave you this morning, we're going to end with this. There's this little sheet that has three circles on it. Three circles on it. I want you to pull that out, and I want you to pull out some type of uh, writing utensil. And Aaron might have to help me with this. This is way past my pay grade here. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. What do I, I got nothing. What I want to do is I'm going to draw it. It's going to be up there, amazingly. But I want you to draw it on your own little sheet here. Okay. I think I'm ready. Okay. So on your sheet, you have three circles. Three circles like that. Okay. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? The Bible says that God created a perfect world. Perfect world out of love. Perfect world out of unity. When we go to Genesis uh, chapter 1, when he, uh, he says this over and over again, and it was what? Good. It was good. But do we live in a perfect world? Everybody shake your head. No, we live in a broken world. Make that world broken. We live in this broken world. Well, why do we live in this broken world? Well, the Bible tells us we live in this broken world because of sin. Because Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And that's why we live in this broken world. In this broken world, we try to escape it. So we make some arrows here. The squiggly lines. We try to escape it. We try to escape it with money. That's one of the ways we try to escape it. Another way we try to escape it is with fame, with fame, popularity. We try to escape it that way. Another way we try to escape it is through our possessions. Put a little house there. Now, guys, I could have put a brand new bass tracker boat with 150 mercury on there, but I did not draw that up there, okay? I did not draw that up there. But we try to escape this world through those efforts, but it's, they're, they're on bungee cords because none of those things work. All those things will fail and pull you back into that broken world. And so you ask the question, is there a way of escape out of this broken world? I always like to make a little door there. And go back to it again. Yes, the Bible says yes, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That takes you down to the, to the third circle here. What did it do? God gave his son, that's the arrow coming down, be laid in a manger. And he, then, then later, what would that son do? He would be laid upon a cross. He came to seek and save the lost. He would give his life for you. Then he would be buried in a grave, but on the third day he would rise again and ascend into heaven. That's the arrow going up. And he ascends into heaven saying that he, the one that has risen from the grave, will come again. And that is the way of escape out of this broken world. That's the way of escape out of this broken world. Well, Pastor Adam, what do we do, need to do? What does the Bible say that we need to do? Well, we need to go from rebelling against God to repentance. When you rebel, you're running away from him. Repentance means that you turn. You turn and you're running to him. You re repent and you believe because you've been given faith that he is the only way of escape out of this broken world. And, and instead of living in sin, now you live a life of submission. Life of submission. And you make Jesus king of your life now. It's all about him. I deny my very self because it's all about him. And I take up my cross willing to suffer for him. And, 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 and I follow after him. What happens next you go into the area of being restored into his perfect kingdom. And the Bible says, the Bible says that we share in that kingdom. We share in that kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. M Michael read that this morning. We are citizens of heaven now in that kingdom. You've went from the sin to submission to now sharing in that kingdom. You are no longer a part of this broken world. You are of that other kingdom. Here's one more thing the Bible says, is that we're not there yet, so we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit does two things. Grow. He grows us. He grows us in Christ-likeness. That's what he does. That's the discipleship element of this. He grows us in Christ-likeness that we might be holy as he is holy. And the second thing that he does, you kind of put a dotted line across here, he tells us to go. And this is the evangelism part of it. Where do we go? We go back into that broken world. And what do we do going back into that broken world? We tell people about the way of escape. And that way of escape is Jesus Christ. Now, I hope you did draw that out. And here's what I want you to do next. You'll notice on the backside of it, there's another one. Because I want you to take it home, and I want you to do it with your spouse. I want you to do it with your kids or your grandkids or have your grandkids draw it for you and walk through that because this is what we need to know as we live in a world that has become more hostile to Christianity. We need to be able to stand on what we know from the Scriptures about our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and the opportunity to be in your house. And we pray this, this day, Lord, um, that we would continue to study uh, these concepts that you have given to us in the scriptures. Um, some of them are hard to grasp. 
And at some point, we just have to stop and say, wait a minute, he is God and we are not. And that you have given us, not only restored us back into your perfect kingdom, but you have given us a purpose to be your salt and light to this broken world. And we carry the message of the way of escape, Jesus Christ. So help us, Lord, to be faithful in knowing it and sharing it with our world. In thy precious name, amen. Would you stand as we close in song?